This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. In this workshop from Craigslist Foundation, internet marketing experts explain how a user-centric website and effective email marketing can catapult your nonprofit toward its goals. This diverse panel demystifies the web development process, explaining how to reach out to old and new supporters after your site has launched. From the Conversations Network's Social Innovation Channel. Hi, this is Elena Connor Snibby. And I'm Eric Nee. We are your hosts on Social Innovation Conversations. Welcome to the free series of podcasts of Craigslist Foundation's nonprofit boot camps designed to help people help people. To learn more about Craigslist Foundation or the nonprofit boot camp conferences, visit www.craigslistfoundation.org. This series is funded by the Community Technology Foundation of California, which helps underserved communities secure social justice, access, and equality through the application of information and communications technologies. Registered members of the Conversations Network receive a wide variety of benefits. For free membership or to help support our efforts through your donations, visit conversationsnetwork.org. And now, here's our presentation from the Craigslist Foundation. All right, so we're going to spend some time this afternoon talking about uh, online fundraising, marketing, communications, all that good stuff. Basically, the kind of thing that you can do on the web. So we've split it into three pieces. Each of us has a slightly different take on it, but I think the combination of three are going to be really interesting. Before we get started, let's do a quick survey. So how many people work for a nonprofit? This is, this is a participation sport. Uh, how many people work for a nonprofit that has zero to 10 employees? Was that maybe half? How about uh, 10 to 50 employees? Okay, a lot fewer. 50 or more? Some big ones there. Okay, great. How many of you are directly involved in one way or another in what your organization does on the internet, whether it's websites? Holy cow. All right, well, apparently you're in the right place. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, great, thank you. So uh, let's jump into it in the next 20, 30 minutes. What I'm going to do is go through three things um, and talk a little bit about spud spinach and banana splits. So we're going to talk about spuds, uh, seasoned curly fries or mashed taters. Uh, really the focus here is around websites and what it means to have a primary website versus uh, campaign sites. The idea here is that rather than just kind of drone on about what web websites are, we're going to look exclusively at samples of websites and talk about characteristics of primary sites and campaign sites because I bet lots of you do both of those. So therefore, uh, rather than get into the nuts and bolts of how they work, uh, at least for this part of the presentation, we're going to talk a little bit about what makes a good one, uh, some things to avoid. Uh, the spinach section, Popeye is going to help us do the advocacy funding. This is going to be about emails. So we're going to talk about the same basic concept but cut across the spectrum of advocacy fundraising and informational emails or newsletters as we usually call them. And banana splits, it's about the idea of bringing together those two pieces, websites and emails, or actually conversely most of the time it's the email takes you to the website and why it's important to have those two integrated. So spuds, spuds come in lots of flavors. Uh, your basic potato can be, uh, can if you got the right recipe, you can create a pretty sexy looking curly fry. 
On the other hand, you can go with the traditional tried and true mashed taters if you like. So at the end of the day, what you do with your website is going to depend a lot on what your objectives are. So we're going to take a look at a couple sites and we're going to talk about how you can make curly fries or you can make mashed potatoes. Both of them are good, both of them have a purpose, but they serve very different objectives. There was a few uh, people who didn't think the curly fries were so good. Is that right? I saw that. So primary website. Primary website is your main website. Your website, that's the anchor, the foundation. It's the place where people end up when they type in your URL. This is the website that has a role of branding your organization, providing the basic information about your organization, and supplying the sort of uh, information that people are going to want to know when they qualify you as a nonprofit that they're going to want to uh, donate to, advocate on behalf of, support in some way. In this particular case, we're looking at one of our clients, the Defenders of Wildlife, and what is their C4 site. So they have a 501C4, which is a politically oriented organization. But this is the basic site that acts as their anchor. If you want to know something about what they're doing, uh, you're going to go to this site, uh, defenders, www.defendersactionfund.org. If we look at, let's go to characteristics. If we look at what the characteristics of this particular site, we notice a bunch of things. So what do we got? So websites. We notice a whole bunch of things right away, which is up at the top left, we see their logo. We see the iconic wolf, which is for them, uh, given that they're an environmental and conservation organization, is the single image that captures and brands the organization. We see uh, a very brief outline of what they do, and we have the picture of the Capitol. Um, pretty easy to tell pretty quickly what these guys are about, right? Uh, from a design standpoint, we can see right away, sort of in the first two, three seconds that you look at the site, what these guys are about. The layout of the site itself, kind of characteristic set number two, is the standard kind of three-column layout. A large center column, which has your primary content, and a left and right-hand column that have what we call ads. It's internal ads for information and for other features on the site that you can cross-link to other sections in the site. Why is this a primary site? What makes this a primary site? This is a primary site because, number one, it's relatively conservative. There's no flashing lights. There's no sound. There's no flash movies. The colors are all pretty sedate, bordering on cool. The basic layout's very, it's got a lot of white space. It's friendly, but it's not sort of overly warm. What are they trying to do here? Well, recognize that, we go back to objectives. In this case, the audience for this site is three, is three sets of groups, uh, three groups. It's uh, legislators on the Hill, journalists, and supporters who are uh, interested in the political activities of this organization. Listen, if you're going to talk to those audiences, what you probably don't want to do is jump up and down, raise your hands, run around naked and, and, and sort of yell out loud. What you want to do is establish a professional, credible, formal, rather than informal, uh, sort of make an impression on those folks in a way that's going to say, not tree huggers, serious folks that we need to think about taking, and, taking seriously and listening to. Right? Now, not every organization doesn't do that, but in this case, Defenders has chosen to do that given their particular history, background, and branding. So this is a primary site. It's got some content 
that's going to, to provide some forms of interactivity. So it's not just about reading the site, although that's certainly a primary element of it. It's also got some take action, a take action button as well as a donate button and read some more, which is a, the report card, which is a, a sort of a section of the site that provides the record of some of the le of legislators, how they voted on issues that are important to the Defenders of Wildlife Action Fund. <clears throat> primary site. Remember, objectives works, establish credibility, look professional, get their attention, but don't yell at them. With this site, they've managed to say, we're here, you should notice us, you should recognize that uh, we're someone that's important to this arena, conservationism and environmentalism. But they really haven't done a lot in terms of grabbing your attention in any great way. All right, site number two, it's a campaign site. Same organization, very, very different look, very, very different layout, and very different set of objectives. Interestingly enough, mostly the same audience. So same organization goes with a totally different look. The only thing that's really consistent about this look and the content that's on this site is that. Once again, they slap the brand up in the top left in a conventional position, top left, and said, hey, we're Defenders of Wildlife Action Fund but have gone with a completely different look because it's a campaign site. Why? Because in a campaign site, you want to be a bit more aggressive, you want to get their attention, and you want to get them to take action, right? Pretty straightforward set of objectives. Not so worried about establishing credibility, although it's certainly an element of it. Not so worried about being professional. It's more about jumping up and down and saying, hey, notice me, we want you to do this. I'll tell you a little bit about why you should do that, but mostly I just want you to do it. It's a campaign site. Main site versus campaign site. Design here is relatively campy. It's, uh, it's a, bit, uh, an, a bit sort of uh, in the graphic design perspective, it's a bit more graphically oriented, a little less about the text, the, treat, the, the educational pieces. And if we look at the, the layout itself, we notice they've gone to a bit different approach, which is a two-column layout. In this half, Mostly, most of the page, they're going with what is their primary calls to action. And over here, we have yet more calls to action. This site is about doing something. The first site was primarily about learning, getting to know, making an impression, and oh, by the way, you can take some actions. Here, it's much more about watching the videos, the ads, much more about volunteering, much more about seeing the campaign ads, looking at the blog roll, um, reading his record. And then up here in the main menu, this site, if you were to look at the site map, you'd find that it's, it's probably about 10 times smaller than the previous site. So a couple characteristic differences besides the design, the overall amount of content in this campaign site is significantly less. Why? Well, because this site is about getting people in, getting them to notice you, and getting them to take action. And so there's some amount of supporting information, but generally speaking, if you roll around this site, you'll find they, they tend to point you back to the other site. If you want to know something, go back to the primary site, and that's where you'll find the research, the programmatic information, the legislative information. So in this case, we can see that the difference between a primary website and a campaign site is very much about the objectives in each case. In the first case, establishing credibility, and the second case is getting people to take action. So campaign site number two. Totally different yet again by way of design. It's a little bit more mellow. The idea here was that they did go for eye-catching stuff. They wanted to grab your attention immediately, but in this case, 
it's done more with the animal photos. It turns out if you look at the statistics for what happens online for these folks, whether it's an email campaign or it's the website, people just automatically are sort of drawn to the animal photos. As a result, they put lots of them. In this case, it's the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. If you know this issue at all, it's been raging now since the Bush administration has been in, and it's been a primary focus for these folks along with many environmental organizations. So this, this initiative is actually quite important to them. And we can see in this case, we've taken one step further from where we were with Pombo, which is there pretty much is nothing on this page but house votes to open refuge to drilling. If you wondered what this site was about, it doesn't take long to find out. Uh, and the second thing that's in here, if you imagine where your eye is drawn on this site, it's the polar bear and it's the take action now. It's pretty straightforward. There really is not a whole lot else to do here. There's not a lot more pages on the site. So from the design perspective, it's different than Pombo in that it's not quite so wacky, but it's certainly eye-catching in that they've used the photos of these animals that we know play very well with the audience. And then they've gone straight to the sort of, what do you want us to do? We'd want you to take action. Okay, similar one. Uh, another campaign, Save Idaho Wolves, uses a similar feature, but there's a big difference here. Um, well, big from the standpoint that I think it takes it to the next level. So we've sort of gone from the main site, which is about education, information, uh, establishing the foundation, to Pombo, which sort of said, we pretty much want you to come here and take action, to the previous one you looked at that pretty much only said, we want you to take action. And they've gone to up the ante here by saying, we want you to do three things for us. And you know what? We're going to give them to you one two, and three. It doesn't get much more straightforward. And that shy of standing up, taking them by the arm, walking them over, and having actually type in on the keyboard, you don't get much more straightforward than this. Iconic imagery grabs your attention. Beautiful photogenic uh, images of what are the wolves, which is, again, one of the most popular animals that they deal with. And they've made it real simple. Intro, here's what it's about. One, donate. Two, take action. Send it to a Three, send it to a, an e-card to a friend. So give us money. Support us in our legislative policy making and spread the word. So the viral piece that says, if you like these images, send them to a friend, introduce them to the campaign, and they'll come back and do the same thing. All right, let's wrap up defenders with one last one. So um, we all remember the Exxon Valdez. Uh, still not a pretty situation. And uh, in this particular case, there's a website. And if it's not clear, this is the actual homepage for the website. And I've blown up what is the header section in this area. Um, I think it gets your attention, pretty sure. The interesting thing about this site is that, number one, you see something very interesting, which is there's no logo up here. Uh, there's no logo up here, although, by the way, the, the branding is nicely done in terms of getting your attention and making it very clear what this site is about. There's no logo up there because it's a coalition site. So we've now gone from main site to campaign site, which is strictly owned by defenders to a coalition site. Real common scenario for organizations who are doing stuff on the web or, in general, who are doing programmatic efforts or uh, policymaking and activism with a group, with a coalition. So what do we do from a branding perspective? The idea here is simply that we've eliminated the organization altogether. So instead of dual branded, organization plus campaign, we're going to simply a campaign branding. And what we've done then is sort of put that the whole way across the header here. The idea is simply this. There was too many organizations that participated in the coalition to ever get all of the logos up there. So they've sort of dispensed with it. And if you go to the About Campaign section, you'll certainly see all of them listed. And it's a very impressive list, by the way. Um, it would have been interesting to see if there was a better way of building in some of those organizations, because they're big brands, and they're the kind of things that I think lend credibility to this campaign. But 
the interesting thing is about this site, which takes it yet again to the next level, we talked about how we've gone from the main site and talked about how aggressive you want to be in a campaign site. They've kind of taken it to the, the fullest extension here, and that is on this homepage, not only are they saying take action, but they're actually putting the take action form right here. So if you're into advocacy, it doesn't get much more straightforward than getting to a homepage that basically says, fill in your name, send the email, uh, we'll figure out which legislator it needs to go to, and they're going to get your message that supports our particular campaign. They put the form right on the homepage. So in terms of websites, characteristics, and things that make sort of home sites or uh, primary sites different from campaign sites, you can get the sense that you have there's sort of a, a scale, a grade of just how aggressive you can be and how you want to be aggressive based on your design and the content that you're presenting on that site. Some things that are typically com uh, common to every campaign site is there are fewer pages normally and they're much more oriented to action. But in this case, we can see we've taken it pretty much to the limit, which is you can take the action right on the home page. Um, by the way, I would say that in, you know, from this is, this is something we see a lot, which is sort of this uh, organically growing <laughs> home page. Uh, it's something that is uh, not necessarily highly recommended from a best practices standpoint for a home page, which is if you look at it, I suspect that's probably at least three pages long. Uh, we usually recommend only uh, one to two pages max for a web page as a general standard. So having it three pages long, usually what happens is most organizations find that over time someone says, we need to add this to the site. So they say, whoa, where do we add it? Well, we'll put it at the bottom of the homepage, or we'll put it at the top and move everything down because that stuff that's on there is pretty important. Of course, the bottom line is that not that many people actually see what's down here anyway. So a uh, strategic use of your homepage is actually quite important. Can you all see over here okay? I'm going to try and move around a little bit. Go ahead. Okay. Okay, so let's move into the second section. We'll talk about emails, and then we'll pull them both together in the last couple of minutes. <coughs> Go ahead. Um, next slide. All right, emails. There's uh, our friends at Breast Cancer Fund are here today. Um, do a wonderful job with their email. And in this case, we're going to look at a fundraising email. And I broke it up into sections. We'll do the same thing. We'll look at what are the best practices for various parts of this email. So we're going to dissect it and talk about the pieces. The header. So from this section of the email, we've blown up this, and we can see a few things that are important to making a, an email successful, some of them much more important than others. The first one is this. If you aren't able to view this message, click here. Very simple tactic. It says when that email arrives in some inboxes, it's just not visible. It's HTML. It doesn't get rendered properly. It doesn't look right. It gets messed up. So I can't see it. But you should know that when it comes into their inbox, if nothing else, this particular text is going to show up. It's simple text. When it does, they can click on that, and they can go to a web page version of this guy. It's a great way to ensure that the extra two, three, five percent of the people who can't happen to see this will actually get a chance to see the email. So it's small, but it's easy to do, so we suggest that you do it. What else is up here? We put the date, we put the logo. Establishes identity, it's above the fold, it's above the section that you can see without having to scroll in your email client. And we establish who the organization is, and then this very, very important piece. This is the same on every fundraising email they send. Urgent Appeal says two things. 
One, it's urgent, and we know that's one of the four things we do to, to build a good email, to build a successful email campaign. So we've established urgency immediately by saying so, and an appeal tells people that I'm going to appeal to you, and most folks understand that's code for we're going to ask you for some money. Why is it important to do this? It's very important to tell people what you want up front. There are some folks who often ask the question, well, why don't I just kind of keep them guessing until I actually get to my ask? And I mean, I mean seriously, they ask that question, and I'm not sure that it's not uh, sort of a, a great exercise to go through, which is how straightforward do you really want to be when you're asking for money? So there's a lot of development directors, I'm sure, in here, and we all talk about this question. I will tell you in email, you're better off being more straightforward, make it shorter, make it more direct, and in many cases, you can make it a little more informal. That's things that are different between direct mail and email. Can be shorter, should be the, it should be more to the point while still developing the story that is your, that is your ask. And thirdly, you can, you can be a bit more informal if you choose to because email as a tool tends to be a little bit less formal. Um, so we've told them up front what we're going to ask them. If they choose not to read it, it's because they know that they're not going to give. If they're interested, they're at least going to scroll down. Uh, we have two other items here. Forward to a friend and not a subscriber. Um, we're always asking folks to tell someone else. That's pretty standard fare. We put it in the header. That way everybody has a good chance of seeing it. So not a subscriber, but we're only sending it to subscribers. Why we would have not a subscriber in there? Well, the easy answer is that if you do forward it on, then whoever's going to get it is not a subscriber. So we want to give them the opportunity. Building your email list, figure it this way. For every new person that adds to your email list, it's worth about figure anywhere from $1 to $3. We like to do that because it monetizes the idea that putting new people on that list has value. So it's real. When you go to an event and you're collecting names, add them to your database. It's really valuable stuff. And we like to put that number on it because, in general, that's what it'll cost you to go out and get a new one, anywhere from $1 to $5 typically. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just finish up with this particular email, and then we'll just jump ahead and do the last bit, which ties them together. Okay, so in this case, we're looking at the first section, which is personalized, dear Jeff, of course, just like in direct mail, and this very important piece, which is the call to action. We call this whole setup a, a, a single call to action template, which is you're really only asking them to do one thing. So the first thing we do is right up here, which is actually found here, top right above the fold, tells them very briefly what it is you want them to do, and you can't hardly miss the button that says click here to donate. Pretty obvious what we're asking them to do, pretty obvious how you go about doing it. The last thing you want to do is make them jump through hoops to make it happen. Okay. Center section, a couple things. You see we've repeated the call to action within the text. It's pretty standard uh, best practice is to always repeat the call to action multiple times throughout your story as you develop the appeal. Um, the idea is you never want to make them have to go very far to figure out where they clicked to go ahead and donate. And that repetition gives them ample opportunity to see it. Um, and then down here, some PS that allows them to actually um, forward on the email and subscribe. Okay, okay footer. Uh, last bit of the email. Uh, first piece is the mission. Why the mission? Not everybody who receives this email knows your organization well. Some may not know it at all if the email has been forwarded to them. Give them a quick and easy way to, to understand who is sending this message and why they should be interested. This We've repeated their slogan, and at the bottom is the basic information required by CanSpam, which is telling who's sending the information. And guess what? One more time. Forward this to an email. Subscribe today. Okay, last bit. Um, most of the email marketing applications will provide the opportunity to do this, allow people to unsubscribe or edit their profile. Uh, usually automatically added, but if it's not, you should add it. And then in this case, a really nice feature is to prevent mailbox filters from deleting mailings. Um, 
add newsletter at breastcancerfund.org. Uh, basically, you're saying this is a good way for our emails not to end up in your spam folder. So we have a couple other ones here. And when you go to look at the presentation, you can see some of the variations on a theme um, for some of these. And then and the banana split. So in the last couple of minutes, let's talk about knowing that you've done your website, whether it's a campaign site or a main site, and you've done your emails. Um, we want to talk about how you integrate the two. Homepage for Northern Arizona University. Big, beautiful, very little content. It's for, mostly for to support new visitors. They had a very small list. We knew most people who were coming to the site were going to be new. We didn't want to give them a lot of information. What we wanted to do was grab their attention. There's a rotating set of photos in here that are absolutely gorgeous. And basically what this page does is said, hey, notice me. Aren't I beautiful? Go check something out. This is the inside page. So from the website perspective, you can see the difference between a home page and inside page where we've used different designs. Altogether possible to do. Don't hesitate to think about changing up a little bit if it's necessary to achieve what you want to do. Three column design, sandstone background, similar color scheme, a lot of the same branding elements that are carried over even though it's a, a very different looking. Um, sort of page. This is actually an email. So we're going to our email and you can find a lot of the same common elements that we just talked about in the emails that we looked at. But in this case, my point more than anything is you'll notice how similar this email is to that website, at least the inside pages. The key theme here is when people move from their inbox, for their email inbox where they live, and click on a link and go to your website where you live, you need to have that to be a very easy transition. It needs to be a transition that has a lot of common elements, and they need to understand that they're still talking to the same organization. The more disruptive, the more different it is, the more disruptive it's going to be, the fewer number of conversions, the, fewer, the more people that are going to tend to take off and say, I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. This doesn't feel like the same site. This might not be kosher. This, uh, this, is, this must be messed up. So there, the, the concept of the banana split in this case is you have two halves of the banana, but when, when you eat that banana split, you eat the whole thing, right? It all, comes as one, it all gets consumed as one sort of event. And that's true. When you think about your email, you think about your website, we need to think about them together. They need to be consistent in terms of their branding, about the messaging, and about the general look and feel that you have. So to kind of wrap it up, let's do one more. This particular organization actually has one more email. This is one that goes out to the alumni base and is strictly about that stuff that I think all of us alums want to know about, which is, hey, what's everybody else doing? We created a newsletter for them that's all about some of their more interesting. They had this thing where everybody at the organization felt like they weren't highlighting how interesting the base was. So we created a newsletter that had really cool photography, that had some really interesting story about what alums around the world were actually doing. But you notice in this case just uh, two things. There's a lot of the same branding elements, and, uh, but that this email carries all of the same basic characteristics we talked about, but the look and feel is a bit different. Why? Because it, it's going to tend to go to a younger audience, number one. So it's a bit hipper looking, uh, but still carries a lot of the same branding elements. And number two, it needed to look a little different from the other one so that we didn't get the two confused. Okay, so what were the concepts there? The concepts were, in terms of your banana split, two halves of the banana, part of the same Sunday, consume them all together. When you're thinking about your sort of what you're doing in the internet, think about your email, think about your website, make sure that that, um, that experience moving from the email when they get it to your website remains consistent throughout the whole process.
Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, and Jeff expected to have a lot more time, so sorry. Um, next, we're going to have Favi from Toomey's. And one thing to keep in mind is a lot of the concepts that are being thrown out today um, assume, so questions might be, but how do I create a brand? How do I create the content for my website? How do I know what messaging I'm sending out? How do I do the emails? So, and also, how do I go about designing the website? So all of these three amazing people run companies that can help you create your website, do all of the content, create your theme. Um, different nonprofits have different budget levels, different capabilities. Some have development staff, communication staff, some don't. So there are definitely ways on a small budget to go about creating your company without having to contract an, one of these kinds of organizations for doing the whole thing. They, you can bring them in, they can do some basics with you, and then you can get um, members, volunteers, board members who have the skills to maybe create the website for you. Um, they can all talk to you about branding. I'm from Media Alliance. Sorry, hi, I'm Anna from Media Alliance. We also teach a lot of classes around how do you do strategic communications? How do you do branding? How do you get your stuff online? So you can create, find out all those background information from any one of the four of us by taking our classes going to the... Here's Fabi. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, my name is Fabiana, and uh, I'm one of the founders of Toomey's. We're based in Oakland. And today what I'm going to talk about, I'm actually going to talk about some case studies uh, in, in, in how we helped some organizations, because these case studies all went through different processes, but they're all working in collaboration with each other. And feel free to ask me questions as, as um, the presentation goes. So, number one, I want to talk about uh, three case studies of three organizations that we're working with, all of which are catering to youth um, and youth organizations. Now, the way that we're thinking about the presence our presence on the internet is thinking about how we as a sector, as a youth organizing, youth development sector, are establishing a new kind of presence on the internet that is not about profit, it's not about um, making money off teenagers. Now, the thing that's important from this, excuse me? Oh, what's important about this collaboration is that it is coming from a youth-centered, youth-led, led perspective where we're looking critically at race, gender, class, sexuality, and the decisions that are being made and how we communicate to our audiences via the internet. And so what we're considering is what are our offline strategies, what are our on-the-ground strategies to reaching out to people, and how do we carry those into the internet. Um, some principles that we uh, some principles that we look at is, one, is how do we work with the needs of the users? What are the needs of the users, whether you're talking to communities that are immigrant communities, bilingual communities, youth communities, what are their needs, and, and how do you reach out to them in a way that, that's relevant? And also that um, tech, we also believe that technologists should come from the communities that they're trying to serve. The truth is that many times women are, are almost invisible, people of color in the technology world, and that the, the way that we shape technology and we shape our presence is shaped by our value system and what we bring to the table and our experiences. Um, the principle that web-based technologies can support organizing work but not replace it. And so to have a truly successful web presence also means looking at how your organization is doing on the ground, mobilizing how it is that you're trying to grow your base. Um, and in this case, with the, 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 in this particular case study, is that young people, especially young people of color, are really creating important movements through hip-hop, through online communities that can't be ignored. And how do we leverage that so that these organizations could become stronger? So that's how we approached um, the project. 
So I want to talk about the process because I think it's, it's really helpful to think about, well, what steps uh, is it important to go through? The first thing is um, this graph is in, is in the handouts, but the first is really planning around what do you want to do with your site? Because when you plan around what you want to do with your site, you have to take into account certain things. One of them is the capacity of your organization, right? If you're going to do a website that has content in it that's going to be changing, you want to make sure you have the people to develop that content, um, whether it's developing news stories or blogs, who's going to be in charge of that and what's your capacity uh, to do that. The other thing is, what are your organizing goals? What are your goals in your nonprofit? Um, is it to organize a certain kind of community base? Is it to take an action uh, uh, with a certain target in mind? What are your goals? The other thing is, what is your messaging? What are your campaigns? And how can you message your campaigns to reach the audience that you want to uh, speak to? And so in the first phase, what we like to do is develop, okay, what is your roadmap and what are going to be the requirements for you to develop that? For example, I'm sure a lot of you have heard th things like blogs, well, what's an RSS or what's an audio cast? Some of those things may not even be useful to what you're trying to do. And in our case, we were working, we were trying to reach out to you, young people of color who are primarily on MySpace. And so we know we needed things like YouTube, which is a little video interface. We knew we needed music. We knew we needed very kind of short blurbs of news stories because that was the audience we were trying to reach out to. Likewise, if we're trying to reach out to an immigrant audience, we know that we have to have a different kind of messaging. We know that we have to have something bilingual, but that's not, you know, not longer than a page. And so when you think about that, it'll inform what your requirements are, and then you move into doing something called wireframes, which I also encourage people to think about, which is really mapping out the architecture of your site. Um, from there, moving into design, creating your content, um, engineering, and then entering the content in your site. Now, creating content is something that I think also people forget and, and they just kind of leave it towards the end. But creating your content is, is very important to your web presence. Because, for example, if you want to have an opinion piece, for example, about um, the media monopoly and how uh, in FCC, for example, then you need to make sure that you have the staff to do that, but also that you have some kind of protocol or some kind of process for how that media gets developed. And then also different user levels. One of the things that now you can do is have certain kind of um, admins where you have a senior administrator kind of looking at all the events that are posted. You can have someone that's a little lower level who would post, for example, just updates, staff updates, staff bios. So you have to develop that process within your organization so that your website can be successful. Because otherwise you get things where you have outdated content. And that's, that's never good. Um, the next step that's also important is to test it, testing it on multiple platforms, testing it with your users, encouraging feedback. Um, training, training your staff so that they also feel empowered um, to, and take ownership of the site. Because the other thing is for us, a, a really successful site, it's important to have different um, members of your staff create content. If you have that kind of buy-in, then you can have um, a, a good content uh, site, driven site. And then finally, uh, the launch. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about the, uh, the case studies. We'll go ahead and jump into that. So the first one, Block. Block was a national organization that they want, where they build leadership of uh, youth organizers. And one of their 
um, objectives was wanting to build a website for youth who were doing activism work, which is a really, uh, it's a growing sector now. Youth who are politically active, who were either part of organizations, that they were technolog technologically savvy. Um, those were the kind of people that Block wanted to reach out to. The other thing is to have some kind of web portal where youth and adult social justice committee uh, groups could share strategies, they could talk to each other, they can share curriculums, they could share things like books, best practices, right? And they wanted to have collaboration and partnership with other youth organizations that could create content. For example, there's a, there's a few online youth magazines in the Bay Area like Wiretap, Youth Noise, and so Block reached out to them as their um, news content partner. This is the website, um, the, the, what the website looks for Block. I'm sorry it's so light, but the color's not, not great. And so what this is, is in the, in the top, as you can see, we're, our audience is young people identified as, as hip-hop activists. And what they have, each of them is able to create circles on a website. They're able to link up to other people, kind of like on, on MySpace where you can say, you know, so-and-so is my friend. I belong to this, um, you know, gay pride committee. I belong to this women's group. They can profile what it is that they belong to. And they could also post their documents for each other, whether it's like a flyer to get out the vote. Um, they could also do blogs because one of the things is that young, we found that young people, after doing various focus groups throughout the country, a lot of young people wanted to write, were writing little short blogs, opinion pieces. The other thing uh, is they wanted, you know, they wanted to connect to each other. They wanted to post photos of each other and identify who their allies were. And so we created an interface that would allow them very similar to MySpace that would allow them to kind of link to each other, say, you know, who are their favorite political icons, who are their favorite revolutionaries, what is their theory of change. So very different than Rupert Murdoch's MySpace is all of this was from a social justice perspective. But the tools were very similar. The next organization, um, Future 5000. Now, these three organizations collaborated because they knew that they wanted to have an impact on the internet that was more than just the place people would come read the news. They wanted to really um, have people network on their site and they wanted, they knew that young people right now, the content that's available to young people that is about social consciousness, about changing the world is very little because of the large presence of like MTVs and MySpace, a lot of it is more towards entertainment, dating, commercialism, right? So these organizations wanted to have a shift in that and in order to have a shift in that on the national level they needed to form a collaboration so future 5000 the first thing we did with future 5000 is help identify what their goals were going to be and how they fit within this circle of youth organizations so what their goal was number one to build to build the current smaller youth organizations because also some of these youth organizations didn't have their own websites or they had like a you know one of their free pages something that would be given to them by by their um by their service their web host provider they wanted to inform the youth about what's happening you know hey do you know that what are the k through 12 requirements how can you fight for ethnic studies in your high schools they wanted to really make this an action-oriented site the other thing is they wanted to be a reference. And the reason they're called Future 5000 is because they wanted to have a database available of who are all the youth organizations in their country, what are they working for, what's their staff size. And so another part of, of 
if, if any of you are interested, another part of web development is also creating content and information that you may not be able to find. One interesting project that we're working on is profiling how foundations give money and how systematically sometimes foundations actually give more to hospitals and educational institutions than small organizations. But in order to do that, we had to track the data and, and create a force that would um, have that data. The next thing is that they wanted to act, people to take action on their site, and they wanted to um, be the central admin. Uh, and now, the reason I'm going over this is because here they planned. They planned what it was, what their goals were going to be on the website, and what were going to be their areas of work. And that turned then into a, an action plan. And this was even before design even before any kind of development started, any kind of coding engineering, was a high-level overview of what are the objectives that they're going to do. So for example, in uh, July, August, September, you see that provide general information about Future 5000, launch a new identity, create online reports. In 2007, they're trying to uh, build more sophisticated reports, create a centralized calendar, create a, a posting tool for events opportunities. So they put, they put their objectives into releases according to their capacity and into something that was doable so that they would launch kind of in phases. So that's something else I encourage um, you to think about is how can you plan it out and have your website kind of grow according to how your users react to it or according to your capacity. Um, and this is the Future 5000 uh, web interface. And if you can, it's, it's kind of hard to read, but in the Future 5000 directory, you can actually search uh, to see what youth organizations are doing. For example, electoral politics, who's working with um, uh, youth who identify as gay, who's, who are working with youth who identify with different cultures. And so after they planned it out, then uh, design began. Um, and the final website, which is a uh, youth media council, also brought something to the table. And what they brought was actually a, um, an analysis of what this tool called the internet is and how can we use it to shape not just what we do um, with you know, whether it's environmentalism, but what do we do as media communicators considering that so much of the internet is being, is, is trying to be controlled and considering that so much of the media is controlled by like right-wing corporations. So how, do, how does that dialogue enter then into what these young people are going to be doing? So the Youth Media Council was dedicated to building the media capacity of these youth organizations so that they not only had a great website, but they had good messaging. They were able to say, this is our campaign against clear channel communications because they play X, Y, Z and we demand that they play more positive music. That was actually one of their um, campaign goals. And the Youth Media Council, which is something, something really similar to what um, Jeff was saying, is that they have, this is their central website, their main primary website, and they have three, uh, I'm sorry, two sub-sites for their campaigns. So the YMC, the Youth Media Council, this is their homepage. The Media Action Center, which I'm going to show you next, is actually all geared around FCC and uh, demanding accountability from Clear Channel across the country, uh, uh, demanding media accountability locally and um, across just um, national, at the national level. And 
taking action in terms of media. And the final one, echo communication, how do they build the capacity of young media makers? Well, they had online tools, they had how to write your own press release. We are currently building with uh, the Youth Media Council and Me Media Alliance a press database so that you can look, find press contacts that have written favorably about certain issues or make comments on how press contacts react to certain social issues. And so they're building a youth-centered database uh, for that. But they have their main interface, but you could also get to different parts of their site. So this is their primary one, and then take a look at their Media Action Center. It's very different. It's very catered to youth who listen to hip-hop stations, but that was their main audience, and so they needed something funky. They needed something that you could roll over, the radio will change, um, so that youth can get engaged. And so th on that note, I want to just kind of close off by saying, well, who, who are we? Who is um, Toomey's? Because I, I think that it's, it's important to talk about what our values are, especially when you're thinking about selecting um, who you're going to work with. How do we move more towards doing something that's value-based? Um, with Toomey's, we offer services, of course, in technology, but also we're people of color owned and staffed, and we're bilingual. And so many of the projects that we take on are looking at communities and looking at, well, how do we speak to these communities in ways that are relevant that will be successful? Because, for example, consider Spanish-speaking communities. Are, their online presence is, is this big, but if you think out 10 years, that community is going to grow. So how do we think about speaking to those communities in a way that's culturally relevant? Um, the other thing is we, uh, as a firm, we relocated our offices in the San Antonio, which is home to the largest immigrant community, um, one of the largest ones in the country. And so how we look at um, technology building is the decisions that we make when we design, the decisions that we make, the political decisions that we make to expand our organizing goals and, and to really know, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to change, you know, we're trying to change the world, we're trying to change the planet, but how do we translate those objectives as an organization into our online um, media strategy? Thank, thank you very much, Fabiana. Brent? So we come at this from a slightly different but kind of related perspective, and that's the world of online politics. Um, and as Jeff said, you'll see there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities, and a lot of, and, but you know, there are some differences. And I'm also going to emphasize a few things that are a little bit different um, and um, extend on some of the comments that Fabiana and Jeff made so that we're not repeating a lot of the same ground here. Um, give you a little bit about our experience and our philosophy, which sort of guides the way we think about online projects, and then talk a little bit about you know, three areas we think of about when you want to map out your online strategy and covering sort of all those bases. And at the end, because you've heard a lot, you know, the three things to take away from whatever I tell you, just to kind of put them right there, because I think you can boil a lot of this down into three quick and easy to remember phrases. Uh, so a little bit my, my experience and kind of where we are. We came into online politics by managing the online fundraising operation for General Clark's uh, presidential campaign in 03 and 04 which was a very fast burn uh, from September through February, although we also were active in the draft Clark movement kind of building up to it. Um, anyway, uh, the key numbers there were it was $7 million raised in five months, which actually represented 40% of what the campaign raised overall, and that all came through the web, and um, building a list of about 250,000 folks. We left the campaign and started a consulting um, company and have been continuing to work in politics. Um, we still work with General Clark. 
um, Senator Boxer, Leahy, Levin, Durbin, Landrieu, Klobuchar, who's running for Senate in Minnesota, uh, Jim Webb, who's running against the uh, evil George Allen in Virginia, uh, Nick Lampson, who's running against Tom DeLay, but now isn't because Tom DeLay is out in Texas, and a couple of folks, Deborah Bowen and, and John Chong, who are running statewide here in California. Anyway, so a variety of like political projects, campaigns as well as like political action committees and organizations that have longer duration than a, uh, a shorter campaign. Um, and I come at this very much from kind of a management consulting background. I spent some time at McKinsey and also at E-Trade um, doing online marketing and sort of applying a lot of those skills to politics. And that's kind of, I think maybe you'll see some of that in the presentation. So our philosophy is that an online strategy is very much about the website, but there's a lot more to it as well. And that's a lot of what I'm going to talk about. Um, if you think field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. That's probably not going to happen for most folks because there's a lot more work. Once you build the website, how do you get people there? How do you get people coming back? Jeff alluded to that. It's a lot about email. It's a lot about you know, building that relationship and getting people familiar with you so that they're comfortable and come back. Um, so that leads into the second point. You really have to develop an online communications program. Um, use email marketing, reach out to blogs, you know, tell people what they should know when they should know it. Don't just expect they're going to find out about it of their own volition. You really need to push content out to folks. Um, a third component, and this is often a problem in campaigns, is that you know, your online program really needs to be integrated into everything else that you're doing. There are a lot of folks in politics who don't really know what to do with the internet. And so sometimes you're out there like the uh, kind of the bastard stepchild kind of off on the side. But, you know, where we've seen success is when whatever you're doing on the web is really integrated very tightly into everything else that's going on in a campaign or in a nonprofit organization. That, you know, when there's an event coming up, it's promoted on the web. Uh, that when you're talking about releasing some big new initiative, it's pushed out in an email. That anything you're doing in the web then also is talked about through traditional channels. If you're running an online advocacy campaign about X, Y, and Z, you should be using every other opportunity and every other venue to talk about it. It's not just a web thing, that's an organizational thing that you're doing. And so it shouldn't, the promotion of that doesn't need to be limited to the web either. So integration, I think, is really key. Um, fourth, when you're thinking about messaging, and this is also a big trap uh, that political campaigns fall into, is messaging supporters in a one-dimensional way. Just give me money or just give me your time, or just sign my petition, and you know, falling into a trap that you're only asking different sets of people for different sets of things based on how they maybe came to you in the first place. But I think what you'll learn over time, again, we've seen this a lot in politics, is you, know, you may give 50 bucks, and that's your first connection to your organization, but you may also want to spend five hours you know, a month volunteering, or you may also want to be coming to events, or you may also want to be recruiting your friends. And so you should be using your messaging program to activate people and give people lots of opportunities to participate. And that kind of goes into what the fifth bullet's about. So on one slide, that's kind of how, you know, our guiding principles in terms of what we talk to clients about um, in building an effective online program. So a quick and uh, very ugly visual um, about how we kind of just map out the landscape. Kind of at the top, you've got your com the communities of people that you're trying to reach, whether they be your existing supporters, grassroots activists, donors, bloggers, members of the media. In the case of uh, political campaigns, also includes voters. Um, in the middle is sort of this online infrastructure that you're building. The core of it is whatever your organization website, whatever that website is. You also, that also includes things like whatever you're using to blast out your emails 
It also includes things like whether or not you have a blog, whether or not you have online petitions, whether or not you have you know, a, a mechanism for people to write letters to the editor. You know, all those sorts of features kind of fit in this online infrastructure. And on the back end is really kind of the key asset that you're trying to maximize over time, and that's you know, building your database. It's building the universe of people that are, that are um, supporting your organization. And everything you're doing in the middle should be about how you're communicating with the folks at the top and, and how you're building you know, a bigger and bigger list and a bigger and bigger set of people you're communicating with. So if you look at that kind of map, there are sort of three key inflection points, and I'll talk about two of them. The first one is over on the right is really designing, building, and managing that web infrastructure on an ongoing basis. And Jeff and Fabian have talked a lot about that, and I won't go into that in any great detail because they've done it very effectively and talked about that very effectively. What I'm going to talk about is the other two pieces, which is um, how do you grow your email database? Um, and, you know, I mean, again, we see this in, this is marketing 101. I mean, the, 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 uh, you know, when you're, when you're looking at what you expect to raise from a fundraising email, it's about, you know, there, there's some basic metrics, but one of the most important metrics is how many people are getting it to begin with. You know, whether it's 10,000 people or 100,000 people or a million people or whatever, you know, it exponentially makes a huge difference in terms of what your return is going to be. So don't forget and spend some time thinking about how to grow that, and I'll, I'll give a, you know, provide a few ideas on that as we go on. And the third piece, which is up at the top, which is kind of the relationship between your online infrastructure and all those people is, is that outbound communications program. It's targeting different groups and tailoring messages that you're pushing out uh, to those folks. So I'm going to spend time talking about two and three, but really that's, you know, we, we think about it in three pieces. It's the infrastructure, building and managing it. It's growing and expanding the email database, and it's managing your online fundraising and communications program, which in shorthand is uh, email. So on growing the database. Uh, this is just a laundry list of things. Different, different of these may work more, you know, more effectively for some folks than others. But things like viral marketing campaigns, if you have a, a petition or an advocacy campaign, and Jeff talked about this with some of his clients, where you're trying to galvanize people to take some action, mobilize people to take some action. Um, you're trying to get your existing members to do that, but you're also wanting your existing members to tell everybody else about that. Uh, and that's a really effective list-building technique. As a matter of fact, it's easier to say... Um, Join Barbara Boxer in condemning Condoleezza Rice for our Iraq policy and getting people to sign up for that than it is to sign up for Barbara Boxer email. And they both accomplish, actually the advocacy accomplish, accomplishes two things. One is there's an, there's an action, and two is you're building the list. The other one is less interesting and just does one of those things. So we use petitions and advocacy campaigns as really a, a mechanism for list building quite often, and you can couple that with any of these things here. Um, reaching out to blogs, especially targeted blogs that fit into the universe of people that you're trying to reach. We do a lot of work with uh, you know, Daily Coast and Atrios and MightyD and a lot of political blogs and getting our, our clients to be posting out there and communicating with that community. Um, using search engines, again, these, these are things that are often overlooked, but very cheaply you can buy keywords that have to do with you know, the mission of your organization so that if people are looking for you know, you know, saving Mono Lake or, you know, this, that, or the other thing and pop up a little ad about what you're doing to help save Mono Lake, people can find you uh, when they're looking for you at a time when they're actively looking for that keyword or information about that and your, your organization pops up a little ad. That's a very effective time to be marketing to people. Um, 
renting email lists, doing some online advertising. There's plenty of those things floating around. Um, a big one, I think, and again, we use this a lot in politics, where there's a lot of endorsements and partnerships and things, is working with you know supportive organizations and doing some sort of mutual kind of you know, will you email your folks about this, and then we'll email our folks about that. You're kind of reaching into other universes, and again, we often use like a petition or advocacy campaign as the mechanism that you know Barbara Boxer might get. Phil Angelitis to send something about something that Barbara Boxer cares about, which helps her sign up people and find people in Phil Angelitis' world that care about things that Barbara Boxer cares about, and vice versa. We'd offer the same thing. Um, skip to the bottom, um, but again, growing your email database isn't just done online, it's done offline. Again, Jeff talked about this as well, but collecting emails at every event, uh, just a sign-up list, where you're asking people for email, or again, it can be a paper copy of an advocacy campaign, a campaign or a petition that you're running. Just some mechanism of collecting information. You'd be amazed. And again, during the Clark campaign in New Hampshire, General Clark was at all these events with 1,000, 2,000 people, and we had the hardest time getting field staff just to do some of the most basic and simple things. Where I really think we, we lost an opportunity to really reach out to folks who are, you know, if people are coming to your event, they're interested, right? And, uh, and so you should be collecting information to continue a dialogue with them after the event concludes. I've got a couple of minutes, so I'll just walk you through one quick case study. This is what we did with uh, Senator Boxer during the Condoleezza Rice uh, confirmation hearings. We launched uh, an online advocacy campaign. Senator Boxer was sort of leading the opposition to the Rice nomination. Um, and so we had her own existing email list, and we developed this, uh, this petition campaign where people could stand up and tell Senator Boxer to ask the hard questions. Um, a lot of the list, you know, it was a very popular campaign. A lot of people participated. We also complemented what we did to emailing our existing folks by really a, a rapid, literally within a day or two days, putting together this little online marketing campaign where we bought some search engine ads on Google and on Yahoo uh, for important keywords. So anytime anybody was looking for Condi Rice or Barbara Boxer or confirmation hearings, they get an ad that said, sign Barbara Boxer's petition to hold Condi Rice accountable. And we got a lot of people through that. Uh, we ran some blog ads on some of the political blogs. We had Senator Boxer do an interview with some of the Daily Coast bloggers who talked about the fact that, you know, what they talked about with her. Um, and so, you know, we spent a couple thousand dollars and brought in 7,500 new supporters in that process through the paid piece. But then overall, with what we did to our email list and what our email list did by circulating it around to their friends and family, we collected just about 100,000 petition signatures and doubled the list in about three weeks. So... Anyway, something again. Not you don't you don't always. A lot of this is finding opportunities and taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves, and just being able to kind of adapt and see something and say, "I can build an online campaign about it around it." No one else is doing it. You know, I'm just going to go for it. A couple other quick things, and I'll skip through a few of these things. These will be in the presentation, but a lot of things with online marketing is 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 always managing what you're spending and having an eye, eye towards is this an effective return. Um, and I'll leave this in the presentation. You can read it kind of at your, at your leisure. Um, the other piece, so we talked about list building. The other piece is actually the fundraising and communications program, which is email. Um, and two big things to think about here is kind of the strategy behind it. What, like, what's the right frequency uh, for you? I think in political campaigns, we have sometimes luxury to message very frequently. Um, if it's an urgent campaign, and during the Clark campaign, we were messaging two or three times a week. But you know, other campaigns and other organizations, you know, weekly or maybe semi-monthly may be more appropriate because you obviously don't want to really burn out, burn out the list. 
Um, and you also want to balance what you're doing amongst lots of different things. You don't want always to be asking for money, so balancing among fundraising, advocacy campaigns, just you know, mobilization messages, come to an event, you know, come volunteer, um, or educating about some subject. You know, just be thoughtful about you know, what the schedule looks like, how often, and what you're saying. And then on the, on, the, on the bottom, sort of the execution of the program, it's really about you know, writing you know, effective and compelling copy. And there's three kind of pieces in that. There's the open rate, the click-through rate, and the conversion rate in terms of what you're doing. Jeff also talked about this. The only elements, really, that you have to maximize the rate at which people are opening your message, that decision is based on the from line and the subject line, because that's all the information that people really have before they decide whether or not they're going to open your message. So think, think about that. And uh, again, we, I think we've seen the same kind of thing where a from line from an individual, in, at least in our work, has tended to be a little more effective than just the name of a vanilla name of an organization. Um, and changing that up, so sometimes it's Barbara Boxer, sometimes you know, maybe it'll be Diane Feinstein, sometimes it'll be Phil Angelides or whatever. It's always coming from info at barbaraboxer.com, but sometimes it's a different name that people recognize. And a little variety there, I think, also helps open, increase your open rate over time. Um, Click-through rate is all about what's in the email. It's the copy. It's the links. Making sure that what you're asking people to do in the message is clear and compelling. Um, and then the conversion rate, once people actually get to the page where they're doing whatever it is that you're asking them to do, is making that as streamlined and easy as possible, as few hoops as that people need to jump through as possible, as few boxes that they need to fill out as possible, and minimize opportunities to click away and stray away. If you provide a lot of links on that landing page that are other than contribute or sign the petition or whatever, it's just more opportunity for people to leave and not do what you asked them to do in the first place. Um, segmenting your list, sending targeted messages based on whether someone's given before, whether they've participated in an advocacy campaign before, you know, make sure you're smart about what you're asking people to do based on your previous knowledge of their, of their history. Um, visible online fundraising goals are, are good, like the thermometers that Jeff talked about. Um, other organizations have found success with uh, these sort of grassroots fundraising pages where people can set up their own personal page, like this is Brent's page to help Barbara Boxer, or Brent's page to help Wes Clark or whatever. I'm trying to raise $100 for my friends. Those tend to be a little more compelling than someone just getting a generic message because it's actually coming from a friend or someone that they trust. And another big part of this at the end just to think about is, you know, there's, you're never going to get it perfect, and you're certainly not going to get it perfect to begin with. A lot of this is you have to think about this as a process, that you're trying things, some things will work, some things won't. You're testing, you're evaluating, you're gauging your progress, and based on what you're learning, what's working, what's not working, make sure you're baking that back into what you're doing down the road because it's a very evolutionary... The, the, the beauty of sort of online and the Internet is you know, it's not doesn't take you three months to sort of see what happens. I mean, you know what happens to an email in a day or two. And the next time you send an email out next week, take what you learned from what you just did and bake that in so that you're taking advantage of those learnings next time. Um, and I've got to finish. So to wrap up, here are the three things to take away. Online strategy is more than just the website. The website's important, but there are a lot of other things to think about, and that's a little bit of what we've been talking about today. Two, don't expect that people are just going to come to the website you know, every week. Uh, you need to use your email to tell people what they need to know. And three, always be thinking in the back of your mind, you know, how can I grow my list? How can I expand my universe? So we'll have a copy of the website or a copy of the presentation on the website, but also feel free to email me or come up and Jeff and Fabiana the same if you want copies of it, because I'm happy to share it and provide it. So thanks.
We hope you enjoy this free podcast from the Nonprofit Bootcamp series. Craigslist Foundation produces events and online tools that provide knowledge, resources, and visibility to the next generation of nonprofit leaders. To learn more about Craigslist Foundation or the Nonprofit Bootcamp conferences, visit www.craigslistfoundation.org. This series is funded by the Community Technology Foundation of California, which helps underserved communities secure social justice, access, and equality through the application of information and communications technologies. Registered members of the Conversations Network receive a wide variety of benefits. For free membership or to help support our efforts through your donations, visit conversationsnetwork.org. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Stephen Eng. Our website editor was Liz Evans. The series producer is Liz Evans. My name is Eric Nee, and I hope you will join me next time for another program from the Nonprofit Bootcamp Series. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.